0: oh my god they're dead who could have done such a heinous act i bet it was that frog down by the swamp i don't like that frog he's got them shifty eyes it was that escaped convict iron jaw that trapped scallion i bet it was that strange shadowy figure that likes to swing in the park on thursday nights I swear to you, it was my stuffed panda. He's, he's possessed. It could have been Ricky's arm. We haven't seen it since it got cut off. I definitely know who the killer is. is yeah. it Blank is the killer hello and welcome to blank is the killer the unoriginal horror movie podcast where i watch six new to me horror movies then blabber about them every two weeks with a bonus horror topic thrown into the mix watching a movie every day of october was a little crazy but i hope to make that a yearly extravaganza i feel like it's been forever since the last episode i've got a lot to chit chat about there's even going to be a special guest covering the seventh topic for this week now into the depths we go Number One The Devil's Candy, 2017, directed by Sean Byrne. A man named Raymond, who has an affinity for red jumpsuits, plays a guitar late at night to keep a voice in his head at bay. Unfortunately, he has never heard of headphones. His mom comes into his room and tells him that he needs to be quiet, and when he responds with, Why he's playing the guitar, she says he'll have to go back to the hospital. Since that place is no fun, Ray hits his mom with a guitar, causing her to fall down the stairs and die his dad is shown coming home and seeing the body we then jump to jesse a painter who loves metal he has a daughter named zoe and a wife named astrid the trio moves into a new house that just happens to be the house where ray killed his mom and probably dad but it's never explicitly stated ray stops by the house and talks to zoe he's then shooed away by jesse ray leaves his guitar outside the house as a gift for zoe jesse starts hearing a voice which causes him to paint edgy imagery with no memory of doing so he's crazy late to pick up zoe from her new school due to the complete loss of time from painting he promises never to be late again ray kills the boy and buries him in a suitcase he then shows up at the house again this time he lays in bed with zoe who freaks out ray escapes the house and somehow the police have no record of him jesse runs into some car trouble causing him to be late to pick up zoe again which is a bummer since this allows ray enough time to kidnap her Ray takes her to a motel room he's been staying at to murder her. She escapes the motel bathroom she's left in by rolling out of the duct tape wrapped around her body, thus proving that rolling yourself up like a burrito in a blanket every night can increase your survivability. She jumps out the window just in time to not be sawed apart to fit in a suitcase. We find out that when Ray was a young boy, he had murdered another kid. He did this to satiate Satan's hunger, which is the type of hunger only tasty children can satisfy ray was placed in a mental institution where he stayed for 20 years before being released the cops say they're going to put the family into witness protection until ray is found the cops wait outside the house while the family gets ready to leave instead of being alert and on the lookout for ray the cops flirt with each other the flirting makes them unable to see ray who barrels down the road and crashes into their cop cars incapacitating them ray then kills them with his handy dandy rock and picks up a gun The family hears all this happen. Astrid and Zoe hide in the closet while our hero Jesse sits by the door with the baseball bat. Jesse completely fails at trying to take down Ray with the bat, showing us a great visual representation of what happens when you roll a 1 on an attack roll in Dungeons & Dragons, then tries to run like an idiot, which gives Ray a huge window to shoot him. Ray then goes into the closet, shoots Astrid, and steals Zoe. Astrid is still alive, though, so Ray comes back to shoot her in the head, only to find out that he is out of bullets it's a shame that he didn't have his rock with him since rocks don't run out of bullets ray then takes zoe up to the bedroom that used to be his where the satanic voice seems to originate from a place on the wall where a cross used to be hung all the while lighting the entire house on fire as he goes jesse is alive and gets astrid out of the house he then uses a ladder to go up to the room which is now a fiery inferno He beats Ray to death with the guitar and then stabs him over and over with the broken off neck of the instrument to make sure he's dead. Zoe jumps through the flames into Jesse's arms and they escape the house. The film ends with a shot of Jesse looking like Jesus after he uncovers where the dead kids were buried. Raymond and I guess technically Jesse are the killers. While looking at stuff for Deathgasm, this movie kept popping up. It was hyped up like crazy on Reddit. Did it live up to the hype? not at all not even a little this movie is okay that's it it's not the worst thing i've ever seen i don't think it's hot garbage it's just mediocre it was incredibly disappointing for me since i thought it was going to be an awesome actually scary movie that included metal this movie does include metal but it seems like it was only added to exploit metalheads compared to deathgasm where you could see the people involved really love the music and culture this was written and directed by sean byrne who wrote and directed the loved ones a movie i covered back in episode two i absolutely adored the loved ones which was burns first movie it was a unique take on abduction horror that i'd say is one of the best movies i've watched so far for this podcast back to devil's candy the metal dad jesse is played by ethan embry when i realized this all i could see was the terrible worried face that he constantly makes when trying to act he was better in this than can't hardly wait but I'd say 70% of his acting is making the Ridiculous Worried Face. This is basically the same acting style used by Jonathan Groff in that new Netflix show, Mindhunter, that I brought up last episode. I can't stand it. The acting from everyone else was pretty good. The Wife is played by Shiri Appleby, who plays the main character in a Lifetime show that I really enjoy called Unreal. I know, a Lifetime show that is actually good. That does sound impossible, but I implore you to check that out it's a show that's about what happens behind the scenes of a bachelor-like show the daughter and killer also do a fine job the killer plays another guy named ray in the second season of stranger things where he gives a shocking performance i do think that ray trying to play his guitar to keep the devil at bay was kind of cool but so much of the conflict in this movie stems from him not wearing headphones if he wore headphones and wasn't bothered maybe he wouldn't have killed any more people past ray buy yourself some headphones there's a big painting that the character jesse completes using satan as his muse it's a pretty cool looking painting that pulls from ray's evil deeds there is a whole subplot where jesse tries to get this new satanic art into a gallery that feels incredibly out of place nothing would have changed had that all been left out given that the reason he is late to pick up his daughter the second time isn't because of his meeting with the gallery owner but because a tire blowout happens along the way. One scene that I thought was kind of chilling and well done was when Ray rams his car into the cops. This is done off screen and you can only hear what happens, which makes you not exactly sure of what's going on. It's a little terrifying and the one part of the movie that stood out to me. I like the juxtaposition during a part of the movie where shots of painting are mixed with shots of blood. There is also a neat four-horned goat scene in the movie. I looked into it, and it seems it wasn't a goat, but actually a Jacob sheep. They are very real. There was a story about one terrorizing a local zoo. I don't think it's going to shock anyone when I say I don't recommend this movie. It doesn't bring anything new to the table. It's not bad, but sometimes being just okay is worse. It's a forgettable film. Go watch The Loved Ones instead. Number 2 House on Haunted Hill 1959 Directed by William Castle Frederick Lauren, played by Vincent Price, throws a lock-in party for his fourth wife at a haunted house he has rented for the night. Five guests are invited, and anyone who stays the entire night after the doors are locked at midnight will be paid $10,000. Events keep happening that make one of the guests, Nora, become more and more hysteric. She keeps seeing a creepy old lady that ends up being a housekeeper on what I assume to be roller skates and other ghostly sights. Mr. Lauren's wife allegedly commits suicide, which increases tension in the house. She's not really dead though. Her and another guest, the doctor, are having an affair and came up with an elaborate plan to get Mr. Lauren killed by driving Nora crazy. This goes exactly as planned for them but is foiled by mr lauren who puts blanks in the gun that nora was given why was she given a gun everyone was earlier in the movie because why not mr lauren somehow figured out his wife and her lover's plan and gets rid of both of them with a random pool of acid in the basement using the element of surprise and the world's most amazing skeleton puppet frederick lauren is the killer This is my first encounter with Vincent Price and as soon as he appeared on screen I understood why there is so much love for him. Price just oozes charisma. He absolutely steals any scene he's in. This is one of the most enjoyable movies I have watched so far. It's a perfect mix of gloom and camp. The practical effects in this one were fun to watch and brought out a sense of wonderment. I really like the old lady housekeeper rolling across the floor like she was floating and absolutely love the ridiculous skeleton puppet i had seen gifs of a skeleton pushing a lady into water online and was delighted once i realized that this was the movie that was from i was overjoyed to find out that it wasn't water but acid the lady was pushed in since a full-size skeleton puppet pushing a woman into a trapdoor filled with acid is probably the most intricate and preposterous kill i have seen so far carolyn craig plays the hysterical nora and her screams are absolutely hilarious I don't think they were intended to be, but they are over-the-top, ridiculous, and all sound the same. Almost the exact same scream is used three times. It wouldn't even surprise me to find out that it was the same. The whole time I was watching the movie, whenever she was on screen, I was thinking, Nora, you need to relax. This was the second film of the podcast that was written by Rob White and directed by William Castle the first being last episode's 13 ghosts house on haunted hill is by far the better of these two since it was such a fun film i definitely plan on checking out the other movies that castle price and white worked on together invite all your friends over lock the doors pass out guns to everyone and watch this movie it's fantastic number three prom night 1980 directed by paul lynch a gaggle of children named wendy nick jude and kelly are playing a game of hide and seek in an abandoned building where the seeker is referred to as the killer and they kill whoever they find a girl named robin tries to play with them the kids all gang up on her and yell kill at her while backing away from them she accidentally falls out a window and dies the kids vow never to tell anyone what happened since they think they'll go to jail someone else saw robin die six years later jamie lee curtis plays kim robin's sister a masked killer thought to be an escaped psycho starts killing the people responsible for robin's death kim ends up ending the killer's spree with an axe only to find out that the masked murderer is her brother alex the lack of parental supervision wendy nick jude kelly alex and kim are the killers that's a lot of people if those jerk kids didn't want to be considered killers they shouldn't have yelled kill at robin for a minute straight before her fall it might have even been two whole minutes jamie lee curtis is the lead in this movie the main reason this movie came to fruition was curtis she was all hot from halloween and her signing on to this movie was the main reason it was actually created as always jamie lee curtis is absolutely fantastic she seems to be one of the most genuine people in the industry a huge nerd and a member of the fighting game community she's attended more tournaments than i have quick plug if you love fighting games check out this new fighting game called punch planet it's reignited my love of the genre also you can now catch your boy streaming on twitch search Bonesaw baker and you can watch me play fighting games and other nonsense back to it leslie nielsen is also in this He plays the father character and high school principal. He's not funny at all, which is a shame. I consider him to be one of the best comedic actors of all time. I think the movie could have benefited from a funny Leslie Nielsen, even if the rest of the movie wasn't supposed to be a comedy. Everyone loves a kooky principal. Even though those two big names are in the movie, neither of them are the star. Who else could it be, you must be asking? The star of the movie is Disco. Disco? Yes, the genre of music disco there are equal parts disco and death in this movie. We get not one but two segments of Jamie Lee Curtis showing off her best disco moves in the second of the two. I think we get at least three whole minutes of dancing. If you love disco, this movie has the soundtrack for you. The music was composed by Paul zaza and Carl Zitrer. Knock off disco songs of popular hits of the time were recorded for the movie since the publishing rights of the actual songs were too expensive given the budget the tracks were so close to the originals that there was a copyright lawsuit for 10 million dollars they settled out of court for fifty thousand. the soundtrack was only released in japan if you happen to have a copy hang on to it they are pretty rare speaking of disco there is an amazing line of dialogue in this movie nick is taking forever to get ready so his dad tells him for a guy so fast on the disco floor you sure are the slowest this is one of the most ridiculous things i have ever heard i love the wholesomeness of the dad giving his son disco props there's a nerdy character that goes by slick in the movie who has a sick van he picks up jude who is much more attractive than him and they end up going to prom and doing other things later on in the night slick is an incredibly likable character who ends up dying because of his proximity to jude unfortunately there is a crazy sequence where slick is trying to get away from the killer in his van and somehow he just can't shake the killer it's a long ridiculous scene that ends with slick driving off a cliff and dying in a fiery explosion you flew too close to the sun slick speaking of odd couples nick one of the kids responsible for robin's death is just nonchalantly dating her sister kim i don't know about you but if my actions had gotten someone killed i don't think my next move would be to date their sibling an interesting part of this movie is kelly's death kelly is the virgin character of the movie as most of you know one of the cardinal rules of slashers is virgins never die kelly and her boyfriend are about to do the deed in a locker room but she decides not to go all the way thus remaining a virgin right after this decision her boyfriend leaves the locker room and kelly is murdered props to you prom night for breaking the rules i really thought she would be spared after making that decision since she was the most innocent kid of the bunch this movie wasn't the greatest but it was an enjoyable watch the gore was done well enough and the kills were mostly boring sans the kill where a douchebag character named lou gets his head cut off his head ends up sliding out onto a runway where people were gathered to see the prom king and queen come out that scene was hilarious and the best kill of the movie by far this movie has a sequel hello mary lou prom night 2 in the sequel which is only really related to the original by name mary lou a girl who horrifically died at a prom comes back as a vengeful spirit to start a murder in there is also a terrible 2008 remake which is completely forgettable and terrible i'd give the original prom night a watch if you are a huge fan of jamie lee curtis it's an all right film but you'll probably have more fun with the absurd sequel number four grabbers 2012 directed by john wright a comet crashes in the ocean bringing strange tentacle monsters to ireland two guardians of the peace o'Shea an alcoholic who's been in town for a long time and lisa the out-of-towner that decided to take on more work instead of vacationing, start piecing together what is going on after dead whales and people start popping up. The culprits are found to be terrible monsters. The duo eventually realize that the monsters need blood and water to survive, and that a drunk person's blood is poisonous to them. The duo gathers the town in a pub during a storm to try and keep everyone safe from the big daddy monster. The plan doesn't go incredibly well, so Shay and Lisa kite the monster to a construction yard where they trap it and blow it up this saves the day but we're shown that eggs left by the creatures will hatch soon grabbers are the killers when this movie had a wilhelm scream in the first five minutes i should have known what to expect surprisingly i haven't noted this scream in any other movies i've watched so far it may have been in some of them but this is the first time it stuck out enough for me to get on my soapbox the wilhelm scream is not funny in any way if you put a wilhelm scream in your movie you are lazy and unoriginal if you don't know what a wilhelm scream is it's a stock scream that is put in a lot of movies it's said to be put in as an inside joke but that stopped being funny decades ago instead of putting in that terrible overused garbage just have whoever is making the scream record a brand new funny scream You'll freshen your movie up, and hey, it could be something that people remember and love. Like that terrible scream from Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Rant over. This movie had an interesting concept that I think could have been really funny. Stay drunk, stay alive. That makes my brain figuratively explode with ideas of funny scenes and scenarios. I have no idea how the idea wasn't capitalized on in this movie. Maybe the concept was thrown in after the script was practically finished. I just picture a scene where a heavily intoxicated character throws up on a monster among many other drunken hijinks. It bummed me out seeing such a good idea squandered. There is a completely forced romance in this movie. O'Shea is presented as an alcoholic, jealous douchebag of a man. He doesn't really have any redeeming qualities. Sure, he helps fight against the alien monsters, but that didn't make me like him anymore. Lisa is an overachiever, workaholic, but a good person they have negative chemistry together the romance literally adds nothing to the story maybe if they wasted less time on this dumb love side story and more time on wasted people messing around with monsters this movie would have made its way into the recommendation pile the acting isn't bad the cgi is passable i would have preferred more practical stuff but understand that it would have probably been a lot more expensive in this instance they did make a practical version of the female grabber which was really cool to see and very well done the gore in this movie isn't bad but a lot of the deaths are off screen due to the monsters grabbing people with their tongues and pulling them out of frame standout deaths and gore applications are a scene where a lady gets pulled into a chimney and o'shea getting hit in the face by a severed head for a comedy movie i wanted a lot more laughs there were three scenes i found humorous one in which they stomp one of the monsters to death and the other two are about weapon choices this was a really mediocre film with a lot of shaky cam and not enough comedy pass on this number five henry portrait of a serial killer 1985 directed by john mcnaughton henry is a drifter that kills people in different ways without much motive he is staying with a man named otis otis's sister becky comes to chicago to stay with them henry and becky become friends kind of henry teaches otis to kill otis attempts to rape and kill becky henry kills otis disposes of the body and goes on the road with becky henry then leaves becky's bloody luggage on the road which probably means he killed her henry and otis are the killers for the longest time i thought i had already seen this movie but was just getting it confused with Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. How I got them confused, I'm not exactly sure, given that Leslie is a comedy mockumentary. Are all mockumentaries comedies? Uh, anyways, about a stereotypical horror movie slasher and how he operates, which I haven't seen in a long time, but think I recommend. Henry is not a comedy or documentary and a much older and darker film, The movie is loosely based on the actual serial killers Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Toole. It's an interesting look into the life of a serial killer and incredibly unnerving. There is a lot of terrible music in this movie, which is bad enough to take you out of what you're watching on multiple occasions. I feel that a remastering of this film with a different soundtrack would benefit it greatly. Basically, think of a bad 80s score from a made-for-TV movie and you have the soundtrack for henry in your head the music doesn't work or make any sense when it's played over scenes where horrendous acts are happening and tension is supposed to be building there are several scenes in the beginning of the movie that show some of henry's victims the blood and gore is okay in these scenes but given that the shots are only of the victims some of the makeup doesn't look great i'd say that overall the gore was done well enough given the low budget of the movie there is a part where Otis gets stabbed in the eye by Becky, which they did do practically with a fake head, but given that the head didn't look very real, a camera trick and the actual actor may have been a better decision there. Even though they used the obvious fake head, the scene still skeeved me out. The introspective of a serial killer this movie provides is pretty interesting, especially given the time it was released. There was obviously a lot of controversy surrounding the film, it ended up receiving an x rating it was made in a month for a hundred thousand dollars and a ton of the people in it were friends and relatives of the director and crew mary demis was a close friend of the director and she alone plays three different murder victims which i didn't even notice michael rooker is by far the best actor in the movie and does a fantastic job of portraying henry the subtlety of his unhinged nature is acted perfectly And really creeps you out. It's said that Rooker stayed in character for the entire month and that his wife found out she was pregnant during that time but decided to wait till after the filming was done to tell him. What Henry says about his childhood matches up with the reality, but almost everything else was different besides the actual people, Henry, Otis, and Becky, living together at one point. In real life, Henry didn't meet Otis in prison but instead in a soup kitchen. They lived in Florida and not Illinois becky was much younger the murders shown might have happened but a lot of henry's claims were discredited the relationships between the trio were a lot different also as in henry was more interested in otis and anything with becky wasn't consensual henry didn't kill otis but is said to have killed becky serial killers are a heinous bunch anyway i don't think i recommend this movie it's not bad but i think watching an actual serial killer documentary might be more interesting if you're looking for more information about that sort of thing number six sorority babes in slime ball bolorama 1988 directed by david Dukodu. three nerds go to peep on a sorority initiation when the nerds are caught they are sent with the pledges to go to a bowling alley to steal a trophy They meet a biker girl that is stealing any money she can find. They grab a trophy, then drop it, causing it to burst open and release an imp. The imp grants them bad wishes, then turns the sorority sisters that have been watching everything on surveillance cameras into demons. The demons then start killing people. The biker girl spider and one of the nerds, Calvin, survive the night by slaying the demons, then trapping the imp in a tobacco can. The demons calvin and spider are the killers since it seems like trapping the imp would have broken the possession of the girls let's just start right off by saying there is an imp character that is a puppet in this movie and it looks like absolute garbage i know i know josh you've never seen an actual imp how do you know that they don't actually look like garbage puppets let's call it a gut feeling besides the awful puppet the rest of the gore effects and makeup are also pretty awful but fun anyway there isn't much gore even though there are two decapitations a girl is torn in half but the actual halfening happens off screen and the halves are revealed by showing her laid on the floor with a wall in between the music in this is 80s cheese but fits perfectly it was composed by guy moon one of the nerds brags that he's had a lady which another nerd goes in on by saying that she was a real canine cutie since she could be picked up in a dog pound great band name canine cuties when the sorority sisters are turned into demons i'm not sure who was in charge of the character designs one had a messed up face one turned into a dominatrix and the other one just turned into the bride of frankenstein i don't know why they didn't even try to do cool demon makeup or literally anything else they must have gone to a costume store and bought the first few things they saw the pacing of the movie is pretty terrible you probably could have cut at least 30 minutes with no issues the acting is bad but wasn't a problem for me given what this movie wanted to be the actress who plays spider is Lania quigley who has been in a ton of horror movies she plays trash and return of the living dead who you may remember as the girl that dances topless in the graveyard brink stevens plays one of the pledges she is also an original scream queen and was in the slumber party massacre a movie from the first episode of this podcast the director david dakota used pretty much the same exact cast in his next movie nightmare sisters which from the trailer looks absolutely ridiculous I will probably end up seeing more movies that these folks had a hand in in the future since they've all done a ton of work in the horror genre. Skip this and watch pretty much any other movie about sorority girls getting murdered. Number seven, Dracula, 1998, created by Rob Zombie. You know, dig through the ditches and burn through the witches. I slam in the back of my Dragula. Wait, what? Not that Dracula all righty then kat is going to talk about a different dragula
1: number seven dragula 2016 created by the boulet brothers dragula is a youtube series which is a horror themed alternative drag queen competition hosted by the boulet brothers so i just said a lot of different words now i'm gonna go ahead and break some of that down a little bit the boulet brothers are two gorgeous usually latex clad drag queens and club promoters have made a career of hosting mind-blowing nightlife events around the country. Their creepy, filthy, yet super gorgeous aesthetic makes every picture you see of them remind you that they're more than just performers, they're like walking pieces of art. The Boulay brothers have hosted a club version of Dracula around the country for quite a while now, in which drag queens in different cities compete to win based on certain alternative or horror-related themes. And now, they brought that same concept to YouTube for a full series. So, how can I best describe Dragula? Let's say you take RuPaul's Drag Race, mix it with Fear Factor, and then mix it with Tales from the Crypt. You would get Dragula. If that sounds incredible to you, and I can't imagine why it wouldn't, this is right up your alley. Even if you don't think this sounds appealing at all, This show has some of the most creative and impressive artists and performances I've seen on any series, not just a YouTube series. Not to mention, there's just the right amount of campy silliness and petty drama to even things out when it gets a little too spooky. The first season of Dragula aired last year, and the first winner was crowned the world's next drag super monster. Season 2 of Dragula debuted this Halloween. The Boulay brothers do an incredible job of being magnetic hosts that you never want to leave the screen. Each episode typically focuses on a runway challenge based on a theme. The queens have to do their best to embody that theme, make it their own, but also put on a really awesome runway performance. So, some of the past runway themes have included zombies, witches, sea monsters, etc. I know what you're thinking, eh, I've seen people dress up like zombies before. Mm, Not like this, you haven't. I actually can't describe some of the things these queens do on stage during their performances without earning this podcast the explicit rating. So I'll just say, at one point in a performance, a contestant puts rosary beads somewhere that rosary beads should not be. After the runway, there's an extermination challenge between the queens who perform the worst. On RuPaul's Drag Race, the queens lip sync for their lives to determine who gets sent home. On Dragula, well, I've definitely had to close my eyes during a couple of these challenges. Being buried alive with bugs, eating brains, getting tattoos, they're not kidding around. I watched RuPaul's Drag Race with my grandma and she loves it. Dragula is one that I think grandma's gonna have to skip. As a fair warning to newer viewers, the production value of season 1 could definitely have been better. Especially in terms of audio, that was a little rough. But they have upped the production value so much in season 2 and completely revamped everything. As a fan since the first episode, it's honestly super cool to see how much the show has grown in just one season. I definitely encourage anyone who loves drag, anyone who loves horror, or anyone that just likes art to check this out. Before Dragula, I basically had no idea that the alternative drag community existed at all. And since Dragula, I found a lot of cool artists both online and in my local community that are part of this like alternative drag scene. For the incredible production value, aesthetic, and general effort that goes into this show, it honestly deserves so many more views than it gets right now. And I hope as it grows and gets more popular, these artists will have more resources and the show will just get cooler and cooler. Also, as a side note, I really need people to talk about this show with, and the only person I can talk about it right now with is Josh, and it's just not cutting it. So please watch it.
0: Wow, what an episode. Thank you to my special guest, Kat, for her coverage of spooky drag queens. I'd like to have some more guest spots in the future, so if you got a horror-related topic you want to babble about, just let me know. Again, big thanks to Sticker Fridge for hosting this podcast on their website and iTunes. Check them out for more great podcast and video content at StickerFridge.com, the YouTubes, or iTunes. Let me know what you think of the new format, the audio quality, or absolutely anything I'm always open to feedback. If you want to watch a movie with me, think about it real hard and I'll appear. If you reach out in a comment or something and arrive at my door, catch me in your ears again in two weeks. New episodes should be up on YouTube and StickerFridge.com on Sunday, November 3rd. But iTunes might take a little bit longer. iTunes subscribers should get it Sunday night though. Till next time, stay spooked. Has anyone seen my tambourine?